0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Like I said, we'll be in uh, First Kings chapter 8. I was hoping that uh, tonight we would get through the remainder of this chapter, but uh, optimistic as I was, we will not. Uh, but uh, so we're hopefully in the second to last uh, part of this chapter. It's a long chapter, but it's helpful for us to be able to understand where we're at and and when we're doing things like this. It's always helpful, I think. One of the main things that you see is the structure of the passage. And the structure helps us to understand emphasis. It helps us understand the movement. Um, We'll see this in uh, Sunday uh, sermon uh, genealogy, where does it start? Where does it end? Uh, it's quite important. It, it, there's obviously connections the author wants us to make in that beginning and end. Um, and so it depends on what type of passage you're in. The structure you find is helpful. Uh, in narrative, often there is a problem that arises, a conflict in the opening verses, and then in the end, how is that conflict resolved? What happens? Uh, what changes in that story? What's the emphasis of that? And here, this this passage is very structured, as we see that in the beginning, all the people of Israel are assembled by the king. At the end, in verse 66, all of them are sent away. So in a period of eight days, thereabouts, the people of God gather together for this event. Um, They come together, and Solomon calls them together. They're all sent away to their houses. Um, We see the emphasis of feasts on either end in verse 2 and 4, and then verse 65, and sacrifices in 5 and 13, and then again in 62 and 64. Again, we'll focus on them a little bit next week. We see Solomon bless the people in verse 14 to 21, and then again in 55, verse 61, And the emphasis of all this passage, the big portion of this passage, is Solomon's prayer in verse 22 to 54. And again, this structure helps us to be able to see this, all leading up to this, all tapering off from this. But also, even if we're just looking at the portion of verses that we spend to each specific time... The glory cloud, we might say, is a big important moment that comes and takes up this passage. But realistically, it doesn't take a large amount of time. Only verses 10 to 13 focus on the glory cloud. So the author wants to highlight this important uh, event of God coming down in a cloud to be able to dwell in the house of the Lord. But it's not the most important thing that the author wants to highlight in this Uh, in this section here. So the the structure helps us to understand that Solomon has gathered all the people together, that Solomon as king is praying for the nation of Israel, for the people. The sacrifices show us it's important of how the people approach God. Uh, He is a holy God that needs sacrifices that are acceptable to him. Uh, Thanksgiving is on the people's hearts and minds. So, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today, is the second time when Solomon blesses uh, the people of Israel. And so, this is quite important again. We see that movement, that process. Again, how do we see this structure we see the structure in the movement of Solomon. Solomon is a key figure in this. He's the person, the, the, the character, although I don't like using that terminology. It seems like it, we're speaking of fictional events. But here, um, but Solomon here is, is moving the passage along. And we see that in verse 22 when Solomon stood at the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. And then again in verse 54, he ends, after he's finished offering all this prayer with a plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had knelt with his hands outstretched towards heaven. So here he, he begins to pray. In Second Chronicles, we get the understanding that here Solomon bows down on his knees to be able to pray. Again, what a, a powerful image that is. Here the king of Israel bows down before God. He is uh, a servant of God, serving God's people. As as Solomon asked in chapter three for wisdom, he understood these are God's people, that he needed God's help to be able to do this. Just as as David danced before the Lord, and what did uh, Michal say of David? Well, you made yourself a fool dancing in front of the people. And he said, well, I'm a king i'm not a king before the lord i'm his servant before the lord and so here this image of of a king powerfully praying on his knees that powerful image of a humble king but it's not merely just a position uh, some denominations and other religions practice that here to pray you get on your knees and that is a good thing but it's more not so much about the position but the posture of the heart You can hop on your knees but not have the right posture of humility when you come to God in prayer. And so it is about not the position that we find ourselves in, although it might be a powerful image. It's not the image that we find, it's the posture of the heart, the humility. And we saw that in Solomon's prayer. Uh, Israel will later bow down before Baal and other false gods. But here Solomon bows down before the Lord, offering his Prayers. So now, the prayer after the prayer is finished. This section in this big, big section in verses section in verses uh, twenty-two to fifty-four, we see this movement once more in verse fifty-five. A change again. Solomon changing, and now in verse fifty-five, he stands and he blesses. He blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, "Now what?" This is, a blessing is another term that we use, is a benediction. A term we might understand at the close of every worship service, I say something to the effect of, here now the benediction from the Lord. Now we might uh, say, well, that, that part of the service is a benediction, but what is a benediction? And why is Solomon blessing this? A benediction really is a words of blessing from God to his people. It comes from the Latin words bene and dictere, uh meaning well say, uh, you know, to, to say well. Um, uh, benedictions are official declaration from God's word showing his faithfulness to his people. I don't stand up and say, here now, benediction... From myself. It's a benediction from the Lord. It begins, a worship service begins with a call to worship God, calling us, His creatures, to be able to worship Him. Yes. And it ends with God's word to us as now we go out into His creation to be able to proclaim His good news. The first words and the last words are God's words to His people. The triune God gets the first and the final word. And here we see that focus on what God does for his people. We do not leave a benediction and say something to the effect of, now go into the week and do better. Try harder. A benediction is what God does for us. The famous benediction, the Aaronic benediction uh, found in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you, and give you peace. Here, three times the Lord uh, is used to be able to remind the people: the Lord is going to bless you and keep you. The Lord is going to make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord is going to lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, this is quite different from a prayer. A prayer is us offering our desires unto God. As the Westminster Confession, a shorter Catechism in 98, explains that a prayer is offering up our desires unto God. We are not praying that the Lord might bless us. It's an official declaration of what God is going to do for His people. It is not a prayer, please Lord bless us, That is offering up our desires, but it's a promise that God makes for his people. Now, when someone who is non-ordained, they might call it something like an ascription. But here, uh, we need to understand that it is not merely a prayer. So, in some denominations, again, a benediction is to close your eyes, where some people might say something too effective. Here now, the benediction from the Lord. Look up to heaven and receive the blessing from the Lord, something along those lines. So here, a benediction is a blessing, and here Solomon is blessing his people. Now, again, we might uh, be nitpicky and explain there's an exhortation at the end, and maybe that part is not a benediction, but here we need to understand that here Solomon is blessing his people. If we understand a blessing is a benediction and a benediction is a blessing, then we can call this a benediction. So where does this uh, idea of benediction come from before we look at Solomon's? Uh, As we would say in many things and all things I pray that we do in this church, it comes from the Bible. Uh, Melchizedek blessed Abraham in the name of the Lord. Isaac blessed Jacob. Jacob blessed his sons and the sons of Joseph. Sinai appointed his priest to be able to bless the whole people of God, putting his name upon them. Um. God blessed Abraham so that he might be able to be a blessing in Genesis 12, 2. Now, specifically, we might say that a blessing is a priestly function that falls upon the priests of Aaron. Maybe this is why you might say this is not a benediction from Solomon that would be blurring the line between priests and uh, king. But again, we see Jacob blessing as a leader ...of his um, sons, although he does not produce those priestly functions, you might say. But here, this is where they come from. This practice comes from the Old Testament in Leviticus. Again, the Aaronic uh, benediction. And here, again, you see uh, the practice of when we uh, practice or do a benediction, often the preacher will hold their hands up. Where does this principle come from? Again, it comes from the Bible... This is how Aaron would do his benediction. He lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. He came down from the offering and the sin offering and burnt offering and the peace offerings. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Then the priests and the sons of Levi sh- shall come forward, and the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their word, every dispute and every assault shall be settled. But not only do we see this practice of now priests blessing the people even through the lifting of their hands, so too Jesus Christ as the high priest blessed his people before he went up ascended into heaven. In Luke chapter 24, verse 50, here, and Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them and then he ascended up into heaven. Throughout the New Testament epistles, we find these benedictions, blessings that the apostles pronounce. Obviously, we don't get the the narrative of how that was performed, but we see these benedictions that come up in the New Testament. The authors will often finish with some form of benediction to be able to remind the people of why God has blessed them. Now, why is that important for us today? We think about what this is, a blessing. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, we have the powerful image of where God separates the two uh, ...tribes into two different mountains, and he has a mountain of blessing, and he has a mountain of curse. And we leave as God's covenant people, not with a curse. We leave with the blessing of God. We leave as Christians with the blessing from Christ. That in Ephesians chapter 1, "...blessed be the Lord our uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places." We end the service with a blessing, not because of our disobedience, because of Christ's obedience. That we are blessed not because of what we have done, but what God, again, has done for us. Now, we can spend a lot of time speaking of different benedictions, but we're going to spend our time looking at this one in Solomon tonight. Let me read it, and then we'll see what makes this a benediction, and what are the blessings that are pronounced here by Solomon upon the people. So in verses 56 uh, and then right to the end of 61. Here now the word Lord from First Kings chapter 8. Now as Solomon finished offering uh, all this prayer and the plea to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt and his hands outstretched towards heaven. And he stood and blessed the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest To his people Israel, according to all that he had promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded to our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord. Our God walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. So here that, again, that pronouncement of the blessing, that benediction. But it really is that uh, blessing as a result of that foundation of what God is doing. Again, that famous uh, Aaronic benediction. Numbers chapter 6, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Here it's about what God is going to do. He's going to bless. He's going to keep. He's going to show you favor. He's going to show you grace. He's going to give you show His countenance and His peace upon you. So what's promised in this benediction that Solomon has? There are three main things that he promises. The first is peace and a place. Peace and a place. We see this in verse 56. Blessed be the Lord, um, the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, according to that he promised. Not one has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Sir Moses his servant. Here they are given rest. Again, that principle. Again, when they're celebrating this Feast of booze, this feast where they had no rest, the feast where they're moving day in and day out, following the cloud, God in the cloud by fire and and the cloud at night. And here they're given rest. They're given a place to be able to dwell, that promised land. Now we all know that spot where we just love to be able to go. After a hard day's work or, or a long journey, and we come home and we fall back into that chair or wherever that is. Maybe it's our bed. And we find that place where you go camping for a few days and the bed is uncomfortable. The The temperature is not pleasant. The noises keep you up. But then you finally make your way home. Find your place. In uh, Greensboro, I had a chair that we called the Papa Bear Chair. And that was one of the greatest delights of a reclining chair. And you would... After a hard day's work, you would go and you would just sit up, and then the feet would come up, and it just felt comfortable, that rest. And now God's people have found their rest. They have had rest on every side. Again, reminder, earlier in chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to my, David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Here the, the house, the dwelling, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, where God would find a place to be able to find, that he might be able to dwell, that people might be able to come and worship and make their offerings. Here this place is now because Solomon has rest on every side. David could not build the house because he did not have rest on every side. He was a man of war. Solomon, which means peace, actually is now Solomon finds this place. They have rest in this land, but it's it's because God has promised it. Again, this connection is the promised land. that God promised this land to his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to Moses, and then In Joshua, again, we're reminded of this phrase that uh, um, Solomon uses here. Not one word of all these good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Joshua 23, verse 14. Joshua is giving his farewell uh, speech to the people of God. And now I'm about to go away of all the earth. And you know your hearts and souls, all of you. And not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. You see, this this movement in the Old Testament, and, and this moment here is probably one of the pinnacle points of the people of God underneath the Old Testament. Here the greatest height of all the Old Testament promises Fulfilled in a physical sense. The shadows at their glory. If there ever was a time where you would say in the Old Testament, these promises were filled, the shadow of the promises were filled, it would be this time The people are prosperous. The land is safe. The land is secure. The people are obedient to God. God has come and dwelt with his people. As you see at the right at the very end in verse 21, the focus is that you be wholly true to the Lord your God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Here at this day, the people are walking wholly true to the Lord, walking in his statutes, keeping his commandments. And here Solomon says that not a word has failed of all his good promise. Not a word has failed. At this moment... None of his words have collapsed. What a glorious thing that we rest in this promise that God's words never fail. We can let each other down, make promises that we won't keep. We can try our best. But the Lord is not a politician that makes promises just to get into office. And the next day, as soon as they take their oath, do not fulfill the promises because they cannot. God fulfills his promises, even if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. The Peter bases this and shows us this in First in Peter. i purified your soul by the obedience of truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Then he quotes from Isaiah, All flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Not one of God's words has failed. And this word, Peter reminds the people that all the things we see will pass away, but God's word will remain forever. A glorious truth to be able to rest in, to have peace and rest because God fulfills his promise. Secondly, this part of this benediction is presence. In verse 57. And the Lord, our God, be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. We'll not belabor on this point, but a, another good, glorious truth that blesses us. As we leave on Sunday, we leave knowing that God is with us. He is not going to leave us. Remember, well, we'll get to it later in First Kings chapter 18 when... Elijah is there mocking the prophets of Baal, and one of the things that he says, I like uh one of the children's storybook Bibles, he says something, maybe God's gone maybe your God's gone on holiday. Yeah. Maybe he's not here. Okay. But here the promise from God is that he has not and will not leave us. Maybe the second most common benediction that we might have heard is from Second Corinthians chapter 13. The grace of the Lord, the Christ, and the love of God God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. A promise as we go out, knowing that the triune God will be with us, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit be with us all as we go our separate ways. But Solomon's blessing is not merely that God would be with us, But God is with us and He will help us on our journey. Again, that verse after in verse 58. That connected that He would not leave us or forsake us for a certain purpose, that He may incline our hearts to Him, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His rules, which He commanded our fathers. Here, that God would be with us that we might be able to walk in His ways. The help of God the Father is that he is or God, the triune God, is that he is with us that we might be able to keep his commandments. Now, this is important. We'll focus on this a little bit later. But also then, thirdly, the next promise that we see, this next blessing that we see in this benediction, is a, as a promise of profession. We see this in verse 30, uh, 17, 57 and 60. Let these words of mine, which I have pleaded before God, the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. Day and night. and maintain, may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people as each day requires. And all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Here Solomon refers back to these prayers that he had prayed, this pleas, these seven pleas that he had prayed last, that we saw last time, that God would be in heaven and that he would hear the pleas of his people. And what is the blessing here that Solomon is sending them out? The blessing is that God would hear. That was a part of his pleas last time, but here he says that God may hear that he may maintain the cause of his servants and the cause of his people Israel. This is a benediction because it often begins with Yahweh. What God uh, often begins with may. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. And here, may God maintain the cause of his servants. And here, Solomon is saying that may the Lord seek to bless you according to the will and his word. But notice that he would maintain the cause of his servant and his people. For what purpose is this a blessing that you might then be able to go and bless other people again? God blesses Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 2, that he might be able to be a blessing to others. Here, to be able to be blessed, that there might be a missionary conversions that others would know about the Lord. Again, one of the pleas of Solomon was that when foreigners come and pray to the Lord, that they would know who the Lord is. That the people of Israel are blessed by God to be able to be a blessing. Again, think about our benedictions. As we are blessed, we are then sent out as God's people with the blessing, not merely to be able to retain it for ourselves, but that we might be able to bless others with the same good news that has been proclaimed to us. Here, this is all the, before the house of the Lord, that all a part of God's plan and purpose for this place and His people was not merely that God would dwell with those specific people there at that day, but that all people from all nations, tribes, and tongues would come to this place. In First Kings chapter 60 we are reminded that, that all the peoples of the earth may know the Lord is good. God, there is no other. Again, we're reminded of that pleas that Solomon mentioned in verse 43. Here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you. In order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that the house that I have built is called by your name. Again, we think about Christ in the temple as he comes in. i mentioned this quite a lot over the last couple of weeks, but here in the foreigners, in Isaiah chapter 56, and the foreigners who join yourself, themselves to the Lord, The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So here, the benediction is that may God bless you, Israel, that you might be able to then show others God's blessing, that they might be able to receive the same blessing, that they might be able to know and worship the one true living God. Now I mentioned before that this is is a, a benediction, but there's some aspect of this which is an exhortation which we see in verse 61. Here in verse 61, Solomon says, Let your heart therefore be holy true to the Lord your God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. And the people here, before God, before this temple, before Solomon, and here Solomon reminds them what they need to be able to do. Be wholly true to Lord your God. The Shema, which is commonly practiced during Jesus' day, would be recited in the morning and the evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Hear that, that blessing of, of what the, the believers are to do. To love God wholly. Wholly true. Again, you think of the blessing, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the blessing and the curse mountain. The blessing mountain begins in chapters of uh, verse 1 and 2 by saying, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now what does this mean? Is God's blessing based upon obedience? Yes. Now, before you get upset and say, that's not very reformed of you. Yes, it is based on obedience, but not our obedience. We cannot obey all of God's word because of our sinful nature. It is based on Christ's obedience that we receive any blessing. Jesus came and he tells in Matthew chapter 5, he didn't come to be able to abolish the law, but to be able to fulfill the law and the prophets. He came to be obedient to God's will and his word. We're in Paul in Romans chapter 8. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness and sinful flesh and for sin. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Again, we do not walk in God's ways. We are rebellious. We turn our hearts away, prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. And yet, here, Christ comes, and Christ is obedient to the law. He fulfills that righteous requirement that it might be fulfilled in us. But also, when we look at Solomon's benediction, Solomon's basis for this is actually an answer to something he had previously said. Why are the people of God, even in the Old Testament, able to be able to walk in God's ways because God would enable them to be able to do so? This is what he said in verse 58. That God may incline our hearts to Him. Why Why? God would incline their hearts to uh, the hearts of the people to God? Naturally, we don't do it, but here God comes along to be able to help them to be able to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His rules, which He commanded our fathers. Again, think of another benediction that we say. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It's not that, you know, the God of hope fill you with all joy in believing so that you are more enabled to be able to defeat your flesh on your own. The blessing sent forth is that we, God is with us and he is able to help us that we might then be able to abound in hope, being filled with hope from God. Again, that blessing that comes from God, that benediction, pronouncement, is what God does for us, not we, what we want from God, nor even what um, we think we are need to do. Again, we are blessed only in Christ. Blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing. As the disciples left, here Christ blesses His disciples that they might be able to then go carry on His mission on this earth. He blessed them to be able to carry this out. And while He blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And so too, here every week, we are sent out with a blessing from God. A reminder of what God has done for us and what he will do for us this coming week. A reminder that he is with us, that we have a resting place with him, peace, security. A reminder that we go out, we are blessed to be a blessing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook